Paul writes, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful and thankful for the marvelous, amazing, magnificent, astounding love of Jesus. We cannot fully grasp it or understand it, but we realize that we are the benefits of it. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his person. Thank you for his work of dying on the cross and paying the penalty for our sins. Thank you that on the third day he arose from the dead and that he showed himself with many infallible proofs and ascended back to you and is seated right now at your right hand. Thank you that our Lord intercedes for us. Thank you that he cares about us. And Lord, we come now and ask that you would teach us, that you would give us understanding, that you would make us walk in the way of your word. Have your own way in each and every one of our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And you can be seated. In Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 11, the Lord Jesus Christ offered his disciples a master class on prayer. And particularly in verses 1 through 4. One of the disciples, for some reason, on a particular occasion, noticed Jesus praying, which was not unusual, but it moved him to such an extent that he asked a question of Jesus. He said, Lord, teach us to pray. And our Lord responded to that request and taught the disciples how to pray. He gave them what we call is the Lord's Prayer. Pretty much should be the disciples' prayer, but we call it the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And he says that prayer acknowledges God as Father. Prayer accentuates God's person and program. And prayer asks God to meet personal needs. The Lord taught his disciples how to pray. What the disciples asked Jesus, I want us to ask the Apostle Paul. Paul, teach us to pray. And Paul is a good candidate to teach us on prayer. As you know, he wrote 13 books 
of the New Testament. And in those books, he talks about prayer. In fact, he has the audacity to say that we are to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. And on another occasion when Paul is talking about spiritual warfare, he tells those Christians at Ephesus, put on the full armor of God. But he goes on to say, making sure that you're praying at all times. Praying at all times. And Paul was not shy when it came to prayer. He didn't have a fake humility and didn't ask people to pray for him. Paul was bold. He he knew that he needed people to pray for him. And so you find in his letters where he cries out to churches, pray for me. In fact, he told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5.25, brethren, pray for us. He recognized the importance of prayer and that even though he was quite a man of God, he was dependent upon the prayers of the people of God. So this teacher of this master class on prayer, he he taught people to pray, he believed in prayer, and he practiced prayer himself. So that we can go to the writings of Paul and find some of the prayers that he cried out to God on behalf of God's people. And we can find complete prayers in Ephesians 1 verses 15 through 23 and Ephesians 3 verses 14 through 21 and Philippians 1 9 through 11 and even in our text in Colossians 1 9 through 14. Paul lets us know and lets his readers know that he was praying for them. And from the content, the character, and the purpose of his prayers, we learn valuable lessons on praying. And here the goal is just to ask God, God, Teach us to pray. Paul, teach us to pray. Jesus, teach us to pray so that our prayer lives can improve, so that we can be better prayers, and so that we can take full advantage of this wonderful privilege that we talk about, that we call prayer. And so as we come to Colossians 1, 9 through 14, my particular goal is not so much to go through all the details of this passage, but to ask Paul, to ask Paul to teach us to pray. I want us to learn some valuable lessons on prayer that we find in this text. And the first thing that I want us to see is that the character of Paul, prayers, teaches us about praying. Paul's prayers. When you look at the character of those prayers, when you look at the attributes of those prayers, it teaches us lessons on how to pray. And particularly when we come to Colossians 1 verse 9. I don't want to go into all of the, uh, no, the whole passage, but just the opening words of Colossians 1 9. We need to look at those words, slow down, and pay attention to them because they instruct us on how to be men and women, boys and girls of prayer. Paul teaches us some valuable lessons. And if we just read through it, And don't pause and don't stop. Our prayer lives will suffer because of that. 
And so we're reminded that when God gave us his word, that every word of scripture is God-breathed. It comes forth from the mouth of God. And so we pay attention not just to the thoughts of the Bible, but we pay attention to the words of the Bible. And I think we learn some very, very valuable things when we slow down and pay attention to the words of Paul's prayer. They reflect the nature and character of his prayer. Paul's prayer was reasonable. He begins verse 9 by saying, for this reason. It was reasonable. It was justifiable. You see, some of us pray out of duty. Some of us pray out of obligation. Some of us pray out of ritual. But when Paul prayed, there was a reason he cried out to God. And Paul reminds the Colossians of that. He says, for this reason. For what reason, Paul? the, The reason that I have heard that you are now a part of the family of God. Paul heard about these, these individuals getting saved. And that caused him to pray. When we learn that individuals come to faith in Christ, one of the best things we can do is not just shake their hands and pat them on the back and greet them with a hug, but one of the best things we can do is pray for them. And so here were a group of individuals who put their faith in Christ, who got saved, and the first thing that Paul did, he says, because of this, because of your faith, because of your love, because of your hope, I pray for you. Paul was justified in praying for the Colossians. There was a reason that he cried out to God for him. Paul's prayer flowed from a grateful heart. Not a cold heart, not a sleepy heart, not a heart where the person can barely get out of bed and pray, but Paul's prayer for the Colossians flowed from a grateful heart. That little small word when he says, for this reason also, lets us know that his prayer was connected to his thanksgiving to God for them. If you take the time and look at chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, Paul thanks God for the Thessalonians. And when can you thank God? Uh, You thank God in the context of prayer. But Paul wants us to know, and the uh, the Colossians to know, I didn't didn't just pray, uh, give thanks for you, but I pray also for you. Those two go together. Thanksgiving and prayer go hand in hand. And if a person is offering up prayers to God with no thanksgiving in the heart, that is the prayer of an ungrateful person. When you look at Paul's prayers, many times in the letters that he has written, he gives thanks, then he prays. And who can forget Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, when Paul gives that command, be anxious for what? For nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, 
Let your requests be made known to God. Yes, pray. Cry out to God. But make sure that your prayers are coming from a grateful heart. Make sure your prayers are coming from a thankful heart. Grateful and thankful because God answers prayer. Amen? I hope we're not just shooting up words to the ceiling and never get a response. Our God answers prayer. And because he does answer prayer, we ought to be a grateful people and a thankful people and have an attitude of gratefulness when we come to God in prayer. And so Paul, he's thanking God for the work that God has done in the lives of the Colossians. But right on the heels of that, he says, also, I want you to know that I'm praying for you. Paul's prayer was persistent. He goes on in that verse to say, since the day we heard. When did Paul start praying for the Colossians? Since the day he heard. Heard what? Heard of their saving faith. Heard that of their faith in Christ, of their love and their hope. And, and Paul took up the prayer mantle at that particular time and saying, right from there, I have not ceased praying for you. I, I started praying for you since the day that we've heard. Now, this is not one long, continuous prayer. But this speaks of the fact that Paul was regular. He was persistent in praying for these Christians. Please don't buy into the lie of some of the health and wealth teachers who want to say that if you have faith, all you have to do is ask God once. That's what some people tell you. You know, if you ask God a second time, a third time, some of us can't relate to that, but if you do do that, some people say you lack faith. Really? I know of two occasions where Jesus taught his disciples the same prayer. And I know Paul is telling us here that since the day he heard about the Colossians, he started praying. I know it's that same Paul that says, pray without ceasing. So there's nothing wrong with bringing the same request before God. Our concern Our issue must be that we're not just mumbling words, that we're not violating the truth of Matthew chapter 6, where we're just praying outwardly and not from the heart. That's our concern. We're not just mouthing words, and our heart is not in it. As the psalmist would say, when we cry out to God, we cry out to God with all our heart. And Paul is letting us know that prayer, his prayer, was persistent. And not only that, his prayer was collective. Again, I'm paying attention to some particular word. He says, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased. We. Who's Paul talking about? Well, if you go to verse 1, he's talking about himself and Timothy. They had a prayer meeting. 
They got together and they prayed together and cried out to God in prayer for the Colossians. And that's instructive. That's helpful. That lets us know that it's okay to to invite others, so to speak, into our prayer closet. Prayer is not simply individual prayer. You're not simply a lone ranger. There is value. There is benefit. There is blessing in praying with other people. And here's a great apostle Paul. He's not thinking, well, only my prayers count. Only my prayers are important. No, Paul says that I pray and Timothy pray and we pray together. There there were times in their life where they periodically got together and cried out to God for the Colossians. And I want to encourage us. I want to encourage us to be a people who pray not only individually, but also corporately. I'll say that again. Individually and corporately. I know it can be intimidating sometimes. To to pray in front of other people. But we just need to grow in that area. And and we need to learn, quote, how to pray. Prayer is not about the fancy words that come out of our mouth. I know some of us are professional prayers. We know, quote, how to pray. You you listen to some of these deacons and uh, at other churches, not our deacons, at other churches... (laughs) pray and preachers pray, man. They, they can pray. I mean, they preach a sermon in their prayers. And so we get intimidated. I, I can't pray like that. I can't get deep. No. And, and so we don't pray. We're scared to open our mouth to pray. And I just want us to know that prayer is nothing more than talking to God, to our Father reverently. So if you can talk to others, You can talk to God. And we need to do that, not just in our own individual prayer closet, but we need to do that at times with other brothers and sisters in Christ. There is value in a multitude of prayers. And again, I turn to Paul, the teacher, when he says to a church, pray for us, brethren. He didn't say, okay, elders, Our deacons, he said, brethren, all of the members of that church, pray for us. We we value your prayer. We need your prayer. We need you to be praying that the word of God will run its course, that we will be bold. He's not just looking at a single individual. And here Paul lets us know that when he prayed for the Colossians, it was Paul and Timothy. And so we try to provide opportunities here at Fairview for corporate prayer. That's what Wednesday night Bible study and prayer meeting is all about. Of course, it's hard to do on Zoom, but we do it in person. We pray collectively for various items. And we pass that on to you as a congregation. We have our quarterly church-wide prayer meeting where we come together and we pray because praying for one another is important. Praying for one another is crucial. See, my good buddy just walked in, Suji. 
what are you doing here? <laughs> From Japan. We graduated together. But we pray together for one another. I hope we'll take advantage of that. Whether it's in a small group or in a large group. Even when we have public prayer from the pulpit, hopefully you engage also in the prayer. And so prayer for Paul was collective. It was not just simply an individual matter. Paul prayed with Timothy. And in other cases, he prayed with Timothy and Silas. And we don't know who else he prayed with. But there was a sense of collective prayer. And again, kind of stressing what we said earlier, where Paul's prayer was persistent, I want you to realize it was also continual. And please don't misunderstand that. We cannot pray 24 hours a day. But we can be in an attitude of prayer. We can be in such a mindset so that when we observe certain things, when we notice certain things, we immediately cry out to God in prayer. So it's almost as if we never, ever leave the throne of grace and, uh, and the throne of mercy. Paul says to the Colossians, we have not ceased to pray. We, we've never stopped. You're on our active prayer list. And so, however regular that was, Paul could say to them, we have not ceased, we have not stopped, we have not paused to pray for you. And and it's not wrong to pray for something once, and that's it. But but there also needs to be recognized there that it's right to pray regularly and repeatedly. Because some matters don't get answered just from one prayer. It requires continually knocking, continually coming to God, asking God to do a particular work. And so Paul's prayer was continual, and it was also worshipful and specific. And what I'm getting at there, when you again look at those opening words of verse 9, he says, we have not ceased to pray and to ask. Two different terms for prayer. One speaking of prayer that's only for God, directed to God. A term that's only for him. So when I'm praying, I'm coming to God, and I'm I'm recognizing that he's God, that he's my father. So Paul talks about this worshipful aspect of prayer, of bowing the knee to God. But also prayer is asking. And I hope we never, ever forget that element of prayer. That it's okay. That it's fine. That it's encouraged that we ask God to work in our lives and in the lives of others. We don't have to be ashamed to ask God to be at work in our lives, to be at work in our church, to be at work in our country, in our nation. We don't have to be ashamed at all because that's really the very heart of prayer. Yes, we adore God, we confess sins, etc., but we also ask. We ask. 
We make supplications to our God. So Paul didn't mind praying and asking. But there's one other thing that I want you to see about the character of Paul's prayer and and the lesson that we can learn, that it was intercessory. Paul says, we do not cease to pray for you. For you. What an encouragement that must have been to the Christians at Colossae. To know that the busy Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, in Timothy, did not have the attitude out of sight, out of mind. But that Paul could write to them and tell them, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Intercessory prayer. It's not always asking God, as we learn from the model prayer, to meet our needs. But but prayer says, I care enough about others that I want God to meet their needs. And here is Paul saying, we are praying for you. We are getting on our knees and bowing to God in prayer for you, Colossians. This is a dimension of our prayer life that has to be included. We cannot exclude praying for others. It can't always be about ourselves, our needs. They're real. And God doesn't mind us bringing our needs and casting our cares upon him. But God wants to use us to pray for others. And so Paul could say, I'm praying for you, Colossians, Timothy, praying for you. Who's praying for you? Do you know of particular individuals who are crying out to God in prayer for you? Are there prayer warriors that you seek out so that they will include you in their prayers and they can be praying for you. I realize I have an obligation as a shepherd to pray for you, but we have an obligation as Christians to pray for one another. Sometimes to me it's laughable when we say, I don't know what to pray, I don't know what things I should be praying about. My friends, the problem is not the things that we need to pray about. There's too many things to pray for. We just have to prioritize and and make the time. And so this is a valuable lesson that we learn from, from Paul, that he prayed for others, that Timothy prayed for others, and we need to do the same. And so the character of Paul's prayer provides some valuable lessons on praying. But so also is the case with the content of Paul's prayer. Paul finally gets to what he prays in the last part of verse 9. Notice the content of his prayer. Paul says, We ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
Paul said, this is what I'm praying for you, Colossians. I'm not praying necessarily for your physical health. I'm not praying for what's going on in your life. I'm praying for your spiritual needs. And Paul says, I'm, I'm praying a very particular prayer, a very important prayer. I'm praying that God will do a work in your life and cause you to be filled and dominated and controlled with a knowledge of his will. Now, now please don't get this prayer wrong. A lot of times we want to know God's will for our individual lives. And, and that's fine. But here Paul is praying for God's will. That they be filled with a knowledge of his will, his plan. Remember last Sunday when we looked at that model prayer. Uh, we are to be accentuating God's person and God's program. And in Luke's version, what did he, uh, Jesus tell us to do? He says, thy kingdom come. If you do go to Matthew's version, those words are followed with thy will be done. So, so it's all about God's program. It's all about his will. And Paul is saying, I'm praying that somehow, some way, that a knowledge, a full, complete, total knowledge of God's will will fill you and dominate you. So that you'll get on board with God's program and that you'll get on board with God's will. And then your will will line up to God's will and God's program. But he's saying, that's what I'm praying. That you'll be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Not only does he want them to know it, he wants them to have wisdom and understanding so that they can use it in their lives. What good is it to know something and you don't know how to use it? And Paul is saying, I'm praying that you'll be filled with the knowledge of God's will and that he'll give you wisdom, that he'll give you understanding. But what do we learn about prayer here? What is it that Paul is teaching us about prayer? Prayer focuses on spiritual needs. Did you hear that? Prayer focuses on spiritual needs. Last week we saw that prayer is asking God to meet personal needs. Well, when Paul teaches us to pray... That the primary thing that he teaches us about prayer is that we are to be praying for our spiritual needs. Yes, your sniffles matter to God. Your cough matters to God. But also, your spiritual well-being matters to God. And we need to be praying for each other. Spiritual well-being. And that's why Paul is crying out, God, fill them with a knowledge of your will, with wisdom and understanding. He lets us know that prayer is to focus on spiritual need. And I also would want to add that it's implied that prayer is to be strategic. Strategic. Too often in our prayers, we're just saying words. And sometimes we don't even think about our words. But we don't have a plan. 
We don't have a goal. There's not a strategy. What helps us about Paul's prayer is that obviously he had thought through the things that he was praying. Now, I know some churches where those individuals who lead in prayer, they read their prayers. Personally, I have a problem with that, but it's not wrong. Okay? Uh, a lot of times when I pray, I, I want to make sure I'm praying from the heart. But, but I need to make sure when I'm leading the congregation of Fairview in prayer that I'm being strategic, that I have a plan, that I have a methodology, that I'm not just shooting from the hip. God bless this. God bless that. Paul was very particular in what he prayed. He's saying, God, this is what I need you to do. And may I just say that this prayer is a prayer that you can pray for the members of Fairview. It's a prayer that I can pray. This ought to be something that we're praying on a regular basis. We ought to be crying out to God for each other. And saying, God, fill so-and-so with a knowledge of your will and with all understanding and wisdom. That's a good prayer. It's much better than God bless Paul Felix. Because if you say that, you don't, what does that look like? How do you measure that? Yes, I want to be blessed by God. But Paul is saying, I want God to bless you with knowing his will. I want God to bless you so that your life is saturated with God's overall plan. And so Paul teaches us something about prayer when he, we look at the content of his prayer. And may the content of our prayers be also focusing on spiritual needs. Now, I'm a big believer we pray for physical needs. If you look at our prayer sheets that we put out each Wednesday, we pray for physical needs. But may we never, ever forget that there's more to us than just our physical well-being. We need to be praying for our spiritual well-being. So Paul's prayer, the character of it, the content of it, teaches us lessons on prayer. But let me conclude, and I want to conclude in a rather general way and not going into all the details. I want us to see the purpose of Paul's prayer. Why is it that he was persistent in prayer? Why is it that he did not stop praying? Why is it that he prayed particularly for the Colossians? Why is it that he wanted God to fill them with the knowledge of his will. Paul gets to the nitty gritty when we come to verses 10 through 14. We learn the purpose of his prayer and we learn some valuable things about prayer. And the purpose of Paul's prayer, don't lose sight of it, a worthy walk that pleases God. That's what Paul is looking for God to do in the lives of the Colossians. That's measurable. Are they living lives worthy of the Lord? 
Look at what he says in the first part of verse 10. So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Paul says, I'm praying this, and my purpose in praying this is that you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He's concerned about their day-to-day living. And when it comes to their day-to-day living, he wants their day-to-day living to be done in such a way that it reflects the Lord Jesus Christ. Walking worthy ought to be a phrase that you're familiar with. Paul uses it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. He says, walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus. That is, our lives are to carry the same weight as the gospel of Christ. It should balance out. When people hear about the gospel of Christ, our lives are to walk worthy of that and measure up to it. Paul also talks about the fact in Ephesians 4 verse 1, he says, walk worthy of your calling. God has called us to a great salvation. Does our walk, does our life reflect that? And even in 1 Thessalonians 2.12, Paul says, walk worthy of the God who has called you into his marvelous kingdom and light. So, so there's this idea of walking worthy is that our lives measure up. And now Paul is saying, make sure that your lives measure up to the Lord. I'm praying so that you are living lives that are worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And sadly, so many times, our lives don't measure up. And Paul is saying, walk worthy. Walk in a way, in a manner that is reflective of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. Walk worthy so that you please him in every respect. In another situation in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul said he made it his ambition, his goal to please God. But what does that look like? What does it mean to walk worthy of the Lord? Paul tells us that basically it's a productive walk. And I just want to highlight this quickly and we'll be done. Basically to walk worthy means that you're bearing fruit in every good work. That's what he says in the last part of verse 10. Bearing fruit, being productive, producing fruit that comes from a faith in the midst of every good work that you're involved in. Secondly, he mentions at the end of verse 10, it's increasing in the knowledge of God. Are we growing in our knowledge of God? In Sunday school, I'm teaching the attributes of God. I've taught it multiple times. But I sure hope that as I teach it this time, that I'm increasing in my knowledge of God that my knowledge of God is not static, it's not the same as when I taught it the last time or the time before that or the time before that. Paul is saying, I'm praying 
that you'll walk worthy of the Lord, please him in every respect. And what that means is that you are increasing. You're growing in your knowledge of God. And not just intellectual knowledge, but experiential. That you know, that you know that you can walk with him. And that you can talk with him. That you can lean on his everlasting arm. That no matter what the circumstances or the situation, you come to know that your God is faithful and reliable and dependable. Increasing. Growing. And you'll never ever grow in your knowledge of God apart from his word. I know we have a reputation of teaching the Bible. Well, we want to have more than a reputation of teaching the Bible. We want to live the Bible. We want to live it. Increasing in the knowledge of God. And then Paul goes on in verse 11. Talks about a worthy walk being strengthened as he says, with all power. Oh, I like this. God wants you spiritually strong. Sometimes there used to be guys in our church wear these small shirts, particularly around their biceps so you could see their muscles. Well, well, God wants you to be spiritually strong. He wants you to have a six-pack. He wants you to have some muscles. He doesn't want you to be strengthened with that stuff at the gym, he wants to be strengthened with the word of God. So he, Paul says, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might. You get the picture? Strengthened, power, might. All of that is there in our God. Next Sunday, we're going to be studying the fact that God is all powerful. Here's one of the verses that proclaim that. God, strengthen me. That's your work, God, with all power, according to your glorious might, your amazing might and power. It's astounding to think of the power of God and what it has accomplished. But but what's amazing is, is Paul says, I want this to happen not so that we can go out and do miracles, so that we can raise people from the dead. Or we can cause cancer to leave somebody's body. Paul says, I want you to be strengthened with strength, God's strength, for another purpose. (laughs) And look at what he says. For the attaining of steadfastness and patience. Paul says, I'm praying that you become spiritually strong. So that you'll endure. So that you'll weather the storm. So that when the heavy load comes upon you, you don't run away from things. But you remain under the heavy load and you keep marching bravely forth in your walk with God. That takes power. Anybody can throw in the towel and say, I'm done. But it takes power from God. To strengthen us so that we hang in there when the going gets tough. And it will get tough. And it's going to get tougher. And even in the church it'll get tough. But we need God to strengthen us. We need his strength in bad marriages. We need his strength in bad relationships. We need his strength at 
our, our jobs. We need his strength trying to live in an impure world. God, strengthen us with your glorious might so that I can be steadfast and, and, and don't miss the other thing. Patient. It takes the power of God to be patient with people. A couple of you know that. I, I, I pity the rest of you when you have to learn it. But it takes the patience of God to be patient with those who don't like you, those who don't want to follow you, don't, who don't want to agree with you. It takes God's patience. We need him to strengthen us so that we might be patient. And then he says, lastly, this worthy walk is not just Bearing fruit is not just increasing in knowledge of God. It's not just uh, being strengthened, but he says, joyously giving thanks. A life of thanksgiving. So you can measure that. You can measure people who give thanks to God joyously. To the Father. And that's what Paul says, I want to see in your life. I want to see you bearing fruit. I want to see you serving God and fruit coming from that. I want to see you growing in your knowledge of God, that you know more about him today than you did yesterday. I want to see God at work in you, strengthening you, upholding you, so that when the going gets tough, you don't bail out. When people rub you the wrong way, you're patient. Paul says, I want to see you being a grateful people, not just on Thanksgiving Day or Thanksgiving week, but giving thanks to the Father. Why? Because of what he's done for us. <laughs> it's what he's done for us. One of the things that he's done for us is given us an inheritance. It's being reserved in heaven for us right now, an inheritance. Not only that, but Paul mentions in verse 13 the fact that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. What a blessing. What a wonderful reason to be giving thanks to. God, you saved me. God, you rescued me. You snatched me out of the domain of darkness, out of Satan's realm. You, you rescued me. You saved me. And you didn't just rescue me, but you transferred me into a whole nother realm. You put me in the kingdom of your very dear son. The, the son that he says in verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. This is a marvelous prayer. And I haven't done it justice in any means, but, but I hope that we have learned from the character of Paul's prayer, the content of Paul's prayer, and the purpose of prayer, the valuable lessons on how to pray. And praying and asking God for great things. Sometimes we ask God for small things. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ that God will do great things. Pray that God will 
Cause them to increase in the knowledge of him. Pray that they'll be strengthened so that whatever they're going through, they don't bail out, they don't give up, but they're hanging in there and they're continuing on. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Great things. Paul was not shy to come to God and ask God to do exceeding abundantly above all that we might ask or think. That's what he's doing here in this prayer. Paul, thank you for teaching us to pray. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the prayer of Paul, his prayer for the Colossians. May we take time to consider it even more and to ponder it and to think on it and to learn the many lessons that are here. Father, help us to be justified when we open our mouth and cry out to you in prayer. May there be a reason for our prayers. And may our prayers flow from a grateful heart because of what you have done and what you will do. May our prayers be in frequent, continuous. May our prayers be for others and not just simply for ourselves. May we worship you and adore you in prayer. And Father, help us. Help us not just to pray for small things. Help us to pray great things. Help us, O oh God, to be filled with the knowledge of your will, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that we might walk worthy of our Lord Jesus Christ, so as to please you in everything. Father, would you be gracious to us as a church and as individuals to help us bear fruit in every good work. Help us, O oh Lord, to increase in our knowledge and understanding of you. God, would you strengthen us with your strength, your glorious might, and would you cause us to be a thankful and a grateful people? Lord, have mercy upon us. May our prayers be different because we have considered the prayer of Paul for the Colossians. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.